Good morning. Is everybody awake this morning? Yes, sir. A few people are. Kate didn't drink my water, so that's a good sign. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Yes. I'm excited to be here. Um, as we said before, it's always uh, an honor and a privilege for us to stand here and, and proclaim the word. Wayne and I, if you're visiting with us, Wayne and I only get a few opportunities each year. Um, Jason handles the majority of our preaching. So if you're visiting with us, um, Jason will be back next week and we'll be picking back up in First Timothy. But it's always um, just a good thing to to have some some people come in and let Jason take a break and, and give him a time to rest and relax a little bit. So that's that's what we're doing. We're giving him a time to get away and rest us. Uh, but it's a great privilege and honor to be here as we dig into God's Word this morning. So we're going to be in Proverbs 15, so if you want to go ahead and find your way there, um, we have one verse. If you have your sermon guide, you're probably thinking, well, this is one verse. This is going to be quick and easy. Um, it may not be so quick and easy as we get into this. So grab your copy of Scripture, and we're just going to read the text before we move forward. It begins, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. It's a very um, simple sentence, a very simple statement, but there is so much to this, and I hope we can get through all today. So as we walk through this, I want you to just kind of lean in, take some notes. If you've got your sermon guide, take notes. I'm going to be giving um, uh, quite a bit of scripture references, so it would be a good idea to write those down, take it home with you throughout the week, dig a little bit deeper and study it. So, so just lean in, and we're going to see what the scripture says about the prayer of the righteous as we looked at in this text. So if you're taking notes, here's how I'm going to break it out for you if you want to kind of follow along with an outline. I'm just going to give you some brief context, and then we're going to look at this verse, and it's two separate parts. There's the first part of verse 29, and then the second part. Um, the first part being far from the wicked, and then the second part, he hears the prayer of the righteous. And then we're going to dig a little bit deeper into prayer. Um, that's where we'll probably spend the bulk of our time this morning, is looking at prayer. And then we'll end with some application um, that you can take with you throughout the week. And, and it'll just give you a chance to, to really look at how you can apply what we're looking at today to your life. So our context, I would want to refer you back to Jason's um, sermon on Proverbs in October. Um, when we started the series in Proverbs, he spent a good bit of time on October 14th kind of going through some more details about Proverbs, um, so that would be a good place to start to get a little more detail about the book of Proverbs. But I do want you to know that it's considered a book of wisdom. It's wisdom literature. Um, Solomon wrote a large portion of the Proverbs. Um, if you go back and listen to Jason's introduction, you'll see that there were some other writers um, throughout the um, book of Proverbs. It's also important that, to mention that Solomon is considered 
the wisest man who ever lived. So that's probably another good reason that we listen to these Proverbs, that we read and that we look at them, because he was one of the wisest men who ever lived. Now, if you're going to outline the entire book of Proverbs, um, there's, a, there's a lot in the book of Proverbs, but if you were to outline the entire book, chapters 10 through 22 would simply be titled Proverbs of Solomon. And we're in chapter 15 this morning, so we fit into that category. And then surrounding those verses, chapters 15, 25 through 33, um, those are verses that are framed by contrast. And that's where we're landing today. Um, ours is in that section of Scripture, 15, 25 through 33, and it's framed by contrast. So you'll want to take note of that. So in our passage today, there are two very distinctive types of people that you see here. We see this distinction throughout the context of Scripture as well. If you look throughout Scripture, you're going to see this, context, this distinction. Those distinctions are, one, they're separated from God, and two, those in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we see that in this text. So it's important to realize that everybody in this room has or does fit into one of these distinctions. And that may be what's difficult for you to hear this morning when we get into this. You fit into one of these two. If you're a believer, you were once separated from God, but now you're in a relationship with God through Jesus. Or you're currently separated from God, you're far from him, and that's where we pick up with this text. So you see there's two very clear distinctions. You're in relationship or you're not. You're close to or you're far from. So we begin in the first part of verse 29. Um, I just call it verse 29a just to split those up. But it reads, the Lord is far from the wicked. Now the word far here means a distance or alienation. So this is a person who is alienated or separated from God. If you're a believer, you were once this person. You were alienated and separate from God. The word wicked is simply meaning that of a guilty person. This is a person who is far away from God spiritually and guilty of living a lie, enslaved to sin. This life separated from God is clearly seen in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And I won't read that for you. This is one of the, to me, one of the most beautiful pictures. This Ephesians, the whole Chapter 2, 1 through 10 is a beautiful picture of our life before Christ and after Christ. So this first part, 2, 1 through 3, shows us what our life is like before we meet Jesus, before we are a believer. And if you are a believer today, this was you. This is a picture of what you were. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer today, this is a picture of where you're at right now. You need to understand that. So if you're in this room and you're not a believer, you need to understand this is what's going on. So beginning in chapter 1 of verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all, everybody in here, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because I don't want to spend a bulk of the sermon talking about um, evil, talking about being separated from God, because there is more to this story, and we're going to get to it in just a few minutes. But we need to realize this was a part of our story if you're a believer, or this is where you're at right now in your life, if you're apart from Christ. So in contrast to that, you know, I told you this was in a section of Proverbs that was that was framed in contrast. So in contrast to being far away from God, we go to the second part of our passage today. And it reads, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So hears in the original language, means to listen. So, when we're listening to somebody, see if y'all can relate to this, when you're listening to somebody, are you paying attention to them? Are you focused in on them? Are you really concerned with what they're saying? That's the difference between listening to somebody and just hearing the words coming out of their mouth. So that's what's going on here. God is listening to the prayer of the righteous. So he is in active communication and fellowship with the righteous. And we're going to talk more about prayer as we get into this. But that active communication is what we're going to move to in a few minutes when we talk about prayer. So the word righteous in this means just or innocent, which is completely opposite of wicked and guilty. Does everybody see that? Amen. So there's not a gray area, there's not an or, there's guilty and wicked, or just and innocent. It's a huge contrast. So how are those separated from God made righteous? That may be what you're thinking. We see a huge contrast, so how are those made righteous? When we come to Christ in repentance and faith, the righteousness of Christ is imputed or credited to us. Um, this has been called, I've heard this call from this pulpit, from other places, the great exchange. This is a great thing. Jesus takes our sin. We all have sin, right? Amen. If I were to ask you to raise your hand in this room, if you had sin, everybody would raise their hand. They would, because we all have sin. So, he takes our sin and covers us with his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? But here's the deal. Can you make yourself righteous? No. No. You cannot make yourself righteous. So how does this work? There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. We can't clean ourselves up, and we will never be good enough on our own. It won't happen. 
You can be the best person the world sees, but you can never be good enough on your own. So now we move to the second part of Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4, because this is where the story picks up, and this this is where it gets good and exciting for those of us who are followers of Christ. And this is the good news for those of you who are not in relationship with Christ. Beginning in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? We are given this amazing gift of spiritual life. And this is a beautiful passage of scripture that describes it. You could have a whole sermon series just on that particular passage of scripture. But I want you to understand that we can't do this on our own. We can't clean ourselves up. It is a beautiful gift of God. And we're further reminded in Scripture that our righteousness is not our own. It's just not. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then 1 Peter 2.24 reads, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, talking about Jesus on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Mm -hmm. We've been healed spiritually. We've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. We are to die to sin and live to righteousness. That's our call as believers. We're died to sin, to die to sin and live to righteousness. Now we move on into to James 5, 13 through 16, which was our elder reading this morning. This is another passage of scripture that talks about the prayer of the righteous. And this paints a beautiful picture. How many like paintings? I like to look at pictures and paintings. So this paints us a picture, if you can imagine, of how this plays out in the life of the believer in the local church. And I encourage you to go back and spend some time in this this week. But it reads, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So, in our church, are there any of you suffering? Yes, there probably are. Then we come together and pray. Is there anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We got to experience that just a few minutes ago. We got to sing praises to our Lord. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Mm -hmm. So again, this is one of those texts, this could really be a separate sermon set aside, but there's a few things that I want you to see here. We see that there's great power in the prayer of the righteous. There's great power in those who pray, who are following Christ. We also see the importance of living your Christian life in community. We see in this text, praying for one another, the elders praying for the sick. We see the importance of gathering for worship. This is an important thing that you need to remember. We can't do our Christian life on our own. It's not healthy. We need to be together in community and a body of believers. And then finally, I want you to take this out of this particular passage, and that's the importance of confession and repentance in the life of the believer. We're told to confess our sins, confess to the Lord, confess to other believers, and then repent. This needs to be a daily, weekly, monthly, and active activity in the life of the believer. It's got to be. You need to be actively involved in confession and repentance because you're going to have the opportunity to sin later today. You realize that? You're thinking, it's Sunday. Nothing bad happens on Sunday. (laughs) You're going to have the opportunity to sin later today. And then what is your response going to be? You have to actively be in repentance and confession. And then I need to make an important note here. Um, When James is talking about healing of the sick. James is not teaching that all illnesses will be healed through prayer. Now there are some churches out here that you will hear that proclaimed. But we have to understand that when healing does come, it's always a gift from God who is sovereign over all circumstances, including health. So part of our faith is trusting God's sovereign plan for our lives no matter the outcome. So we have to trust in God's plan no matter the outcome, even if we do not get healed from a sickness. And that's hard for us to reconcile. But we have to trust God and his plan. We trust his definition of good. Do you all have a definition of good? Okay. I'm sure every one of us has a definition of what good looks like. But we should trust his definition of good. We trust his plan, not ours. We do. We can't trust our own thoughts about what we think is good. Because our definition of good is far from what God 
sees is good. So we see in this that the prayer, that prayer is an important part of the Christian life and the life of the church. So as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to have a clear picture of what prayer looks like. Would y'all agree with that? Would you agree with that statement? We need a clear picture of what it looks like. So simply put, prayer is a personal communication with God. And then I found a definition by J.I. Packer that really puts to words what prayer looks like. And to me, this is just a beautiful picture of what our prayer life with God looks like. And this definition reads, God made us and has redeemed us for fellowship with himself. And that is what prayer is. God speaks to us in and through the contents of the Bible, which the Holy Spirit opens up and applies to us and enables us to understand. We then speak to God about himself, ourselves, and the people in his world, shaping what we say as response to what he has said. This unique form of two-way conversation continues as long as life lasts. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture. One of my favorite parts of this definition is we then speak to God about himself, ourselves, and the people in his world. You notice we weren't the first person on that list that we speak to God about. We speak to God about himself and ourselves and the people in this world, shaping what we say as response to what he has said. And then this conversation continues as long as life lasts. It's not something that we just do occasionally. It continues as long as our life lasts. So what does this look like? Um, this, This will be a little more application to us. But what does this look like in our lives? How do we do this? Well, we... There are a number of ways to pray. We praise, we give thanksgiving, we confess, we have intercession and petition. Those are multiple ways that we pray. And then we're going to go through some scripture here, so if you get your get your pen ready and write these down. So we pray individually and private, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So this is a picture of praying by yourself in secret. We need to have a time where we can focus on God in Scripture reading and prayer. And then next we're going to pray in company with each other. We see this in Acts in the early church. Acts 1.14 reads, All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they were devoting themselves to prayer as a group of people. 
It was not just an individual aspect of their life. They were devoting to prayer as a group. And then the end of verse 24 in chapter 4 reads, They lifted their voices up together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So this is just a picture of them raising their voices together. They're calling out to their sovereign Lord together in prayer. And that's an important part of our life as a church. So prayer is essential to our Christian life and the life of the church. It's foundational, it's relational, and it's personal. Our lives must be in line with God's revealed will through this process of prayer. 1 John 5.14 reads, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then our motives in prayer must be in line with God, God's revealed will. And we see that in James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, so to spend it on your passions. So our mindset, our motives in our prayer lives are huge when we look at prayer. We need to be in line with his will and not our own thoughts, our own desires. Philip Brooks once said this, The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. So if we want to pray in the will of God, then we must live in the will of God. And living in the will of God makes it possible for us to pray without ceasing, which we're told to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. As we pray without ceasing, that's pretty much our mindset as a believer. We've always got Christ on our mind. We're thinking in the direction of Christ and not ourselves. And that's a struggle for us because it's very easy to think about ourselves. We think about ourselves a lot, probably more than you want to talk about, but we do. We think about what our desires are and what we want. But to pray without ceasing is to have a mindset focused on Christ. And your thoughts go to prayer. Your thoughts go to communication with God. Now, we need to consider what may hinder the prayer of the Christian. Has anybody ever considered what may hinder your prayers? And this may be a little bit difficult to listen to because we may not have considered this. Because our text says the prayer, God hears the prayer of the righteous. He does. He hears us. He listens to us. But scripture also warns us that there are things that could hinder that prayer. And we take scripture in context. We look at scripture as it interprets scripture. So there are scriptures that warn us that our prayers could be hindered. This most likely happens in times when we're struggling with sin or not completely abiding in Christ. Have you ever been there? Have you ever struggled with something sinful? Again, everybody in here would raise your hand. We have. We've all been there. So you have to guard against that. 
So I'm going to lay out six significant ways Christian prayers could be hindered. This list was um, originally comprised by Pastor Tim Chalice, um, and I came across this as I was doing my study, and I felt that this gave us a great picture for what this looks like. So these are things that we may not be aware of in our own lives, so that's why we're pointing them out right now, so you can look at your life. As long as I have the opportunity to be here at this church, one of the things that you're going to hear me say, and you've heard me say it before, but you need to evaluate your relationship with Christ often. You need to evaluate your relationship with Christ. How many of you have relationships with people? Yes, okay. I think we all do. Do you think about those relationships with people? Yes, and you probably evaluate those relationships with people. Even more so should you evaluate your relationship with Christ. And you should do it often. So number one is selfish motives. Number one is selfish motives. We read this a few minutes ago, but I'll go ahead and read it again. It's 1 John 5.14. And this is a confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. According to his will not our selfish motives. And then James 4.3, again, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So again, we have to watch out for selfish motives in our lives. We have to ask for things and ways that are consistent with the character and nature of God revealed in his holy Scripture. If we ask for things that are not within God's will, um, he's not going to hear that. He doesn't want to know about things that are not in his will. Number two, turning away from Scripture. Proverbs 28.9 reads, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So even your prayer is an abomination if you turn your ear away from hearing the scriptures. So reading and meditating on scripture needs to be an important part of our lives. It needs to be an important part of our prayer lives. Maybe try reading scripture as you pray. Praying scripture. There are beautiful prayers in the scriptures. In the Psalms, you could go through and read the Psalms it's your prayer life as part of your prayer time and your quiet time with the Lord. Read and meditate on the scriptures. Number three, unforgiving hearts. Mark 11:25 reads, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So it's important to forgive. How many of us have struggled with unforgiving hearts? We probably have. There's been times where we have probably struggled with unforgiveness. We have to be attentive to our hearts and make sure we're not harboring hate or resentment towards other people. That can damage our prayer life. And then this is a good one. Um, Guys, you'll specifically like this one. Family discord. It's the foremost responsibility of the father 
And a lot of these could be, we could probably have sermons on each one of these. But it's the foremost responsibility of the father as the head of the household to ensure that there is no discord within the family. So 1 Peter 3, 7 reads this. And men, you want to specifically take note of this one. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. Husbands, did you realize that your prayers could be hindered if you're not showing honor to your wife? If you're not treating your wife the way that God wants you to treat your wife? It's important to remember that our marriage relationship is to reflect that of Christ and the church. It's not about you. Can you believe that? Your marriage is not about your happiness. Your marriage relationship is to reflect that of Christ to his church. Just let that set on you for a little bit, guys. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18 reads, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We need to examine our hearts to see if unconfessed sin stands as a barrier between ourselves and God. While we continually examine our hearts, we also need to ask God to reveal our sin to us. Is there any of you who have ever treasured a sin above your relationship with Christ? You may have. It's entirely possible. That's why we're looking at these scriptures today, so that you can check and evaluate your life. Look for unconfessed sin. Ask God to reveal that sin to you. You may be struggling with something you may not be completely aware of because you're so full of it. Have you ever thought about that? So ask God to reveal that to you. And then number six, doubt. Doubt. Has anybody had doubts? Yes. James 1, 5 through 7 reads, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. So do you see how destructive doubt can be in our prayer life? We must ask and go to the Lord with expectancy, believing in our heart that God can and will give what we desire. Listen, provided that we desire, provided that what we desire is really what we need and what will bring glory to God. And what is a part of his sovereign plan? We ask with expectancy. We're called to prayer as believers. 
We're called to come with open hearts to the foot of the cross in prayer. We need to do that, and we need to do it with expectancy and believing and move away from doubt in our hearts. So you may be thinking at this point, well, how do I apply all of this? How do we, how does this really look in my day-to-day life? So as individual Christians, as people in here who are followers of Christ, if you can, if you um, associate yourself as a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to evaluate your life and relationship with Jesus. Well, I've already said that a few minutes ago, but you need to do it often. So you may be thinking, well, how do I do that? How do I evaluate my life and my relationship with Jesus? You look for a growing awareness of Jesus' presence and power in your lives. That goes back to the progressive sanctification that we talked about. We grow, we're in this growing as believers as we grow progressively more and more to be like Christ. We take steps to grow closer to God on a consistent basis as we live our lives. So steps we can take. Are you practicing and living spiritual disciplines? Is that part of your life? Are you practicing and living these? There's Bible study. Do you really realize how important Bible study is? Holy Scripture is how God chose to reveal himself to us in a special way. Y'all get that? Do you understand someone who is a non-believer will look at Scripture and will not be able to glean off of it what believers do because the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us and allows us to understand God's Holy Scripture. It's a part of his special revelation to believers. It's huge to study your scriptures, to see God revealed in a special way. How else do we do this? We worship. We have times in our church service where we worship. Um, Keith is doing a wonderful job as our worship leader. We also worship outside of this building, right? We worship outside of this building. We do it during the week. We have to be worshipers of our God. We pray, which is what we just talked about. We fellowship. And then we have confession and repentance as a part of our daily life as a believer. It's not something that you just do once. I've heard this taught many ways, and it's not something that you just do once upon salvation. Confession and repentance needs to be a daily part of your Christian walk. So how do we do this as a church? Well, we strive to be a praying church. We have a long ways to go in this, and Jason mentioned that in the State of the Church address. Um, We're doing things that we need to improve on for prayer, but we need to be a praying church. As a church, we need to pray for each other and the lost around us. Do you realize how important it is for you to pray for the lost around you? Um, I found out I was saved at 21, and shortly after that, my grandmother had passed away. Well, I found out a short time after that my grandmother and a group of her friends in her Sunday school class would pray for my salvation. And they didn't do it just once or twice. They did it a lot. 
probably every time they were together, from what I understand. So pray for the lost. You can't get a prayer list. Pray for the lost. Pray for those that you know that are probably away from Christ based on their life. And pray for those that, people that you may just encounter on a daily basis that you may not know if they're a Christian or not, but you should pray for them. Use the tools as a church. We're working on supplying tools that we can use for prayer. Our texting service, if you don't have that yet, I encourage you to get that. Our life groups, get into a life group. We share prayer requests, we pray. Our connect cards that Keith mentioned. If you're in here on a Sunday morning and you have a prayer request, if you don't want to speak to anybody about it, put it on the card and put it in the box. We will pray for you. If you want it sent out to the church, we will send it out to the church for the church to pray for you. But use that tool. On our website, there's a page specifically for prayer. You can go in and enter a prayer request on that website. So those are ways that we're trying to do this as a church. We, we need to be a praying church because anything that God does with this church is going to start with the power of our prayer. That's getting on our knees and us praying. Um, this is a, I brought this out, I've shown y'all this once before. But this is an old blue card that I keep in my wallet. Um, it was given to me by my first pastor, the one who baptized me, the one who married Jennifer and myself, and I, I keep it um, because this is an important thing for me, and I pull it out and I read it fairly regularly. And I just want to read it to you. And I hope this is your dream as well for our church. But it says, I have a dream of being a praying member of a praying church that will not give up, let up, or shut up until the supernatural power of the Spirit so falls on our fellowship that the world exclaims, only God Almighty can do that. Amen. We don't want this church to grow when people say, wow, look at that. Boy, Keith is leading worship and a hundred people came. Or Jason's preaching and a hundred people came. Because you know what? Sometimes I'm going to be preaching and a hundred people may not come to hear me talk. Because I'm not all over the place. I'm not excitable, so to speak. This is, this is what you get from me. You can ask my wife. I'm level. So we're not, this church is not about us. It's not about a particular person. It's about the glory of God. And we want people to see things going on here and say that only God Almighty could have done that. Amen. Are y'all with me? Yes. All right. So that's an application for the believer. If you're in this room today and you're not a believer, if you've never met Jesus, if you find yourself in that category being far from God, here's the gospel. Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection is a gift God gave as the propitiation for our sins as offered to all who repent and put their faith in Jesus. I'll tell you what the word propitiation means, and I almost didn't use it, but we need to learn some big words. This is a good word to learn. Propitiation is simply a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. That's the simplest way to put that. You need to learn what propitiation means. 
So here's the deal. We're all born into sin. We're slaves to sin. We're separated from God. We saw that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're spiritually dead. We also see in Scripture that we're spiritually blind in places. Then, because of his great love and mercy, God makes us alive with Christ. Amen. Amen. God makes us alive with Christ. Once he begins a work in your heart, he brings you to a place of recognizing or understanding your position in sin, which in turn brings you to that point of repentance and belief. So if you've never come to that place of repentance and belief, that place of committing your life to following Christ, don't ignore his calling. Don't ignore him showing you where your sin is. Don't ignore his desire for you to repent and believe. That is his desire. He wants you to repent and believe and to follow him, to commit your life. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus in a personal way, that's your call. That's your application. Repent and believe. Commit yourself to following Jesus in faith. Meet him today. It's such a huge thing. Listen, before I was saved, I had no no desire for church. And y'all probably get tired of me saying this, but God did a work in my life. He saved me, and I fell in love with him and his church, and I would have never done that on my own. God does a work in your life. Don't ignore him calling you today. Repent and believe and meet Jesus. For those of you looking for a church home, we would love to have you here. Um, This is kind of a shameless plug, but we do have a membership class coming up in March. (laughs) So if you're considering this church, get with me so we can get you plugged into that class. That's not a commitment to join the church. That's just a commitment to start the process and begin learning about what we do here. So get with me so I can get you signed up for that class. Keith, if you want to Come on up. I'm going to voice a prayer, and um, Keith is going to come and lead us in worship. Um, I want you to feel free to use this time to worship. You can sit. You You can sit or stand, or you can pray. You can meditate on what the Lord is doing in your life. Maybe on this word that you heard today. Maybe you want to stand in worship with Keith. I'll leave that to you and what God's doing in your heart right now. And as always, our elders are here. Wayne and myself will be here if you need to talk about anything. Um, Matt will be here as well as our youth minister. And Keith will be here as well after our service if you need to talk to us about anything. We would love to sit down and visit with you. So let me pray and then we'll worship. Father God, I just come to you this morning. And I thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, it's such an important thing for the believer to come and gather and to hear the word being proclaimed and to worship in the community. Father, just to come together and lay those things aside that have been gnawing at us all week, Lord, that have been um, causing us to struggle with our faith. Lord, it's refreshing to come into a place to hear scripture 
being read, to hear scripture being preached, and to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I just pray for those that may be in this room that, that don't know you in a personal way, Lord. I just pray that they are drawn to you today. Pray that they come to that place of repentance and faith. Father, I love you. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.